Amen. You all may be seated. Richard, thank you so very much. Well, my name is Doug Jones, and I'm the campus and teaching pastor. And so if you're here for the first time, welcome. For those online, we're so glad you've joined us. I know that the the crud, I was talking with David, and he's like, is there a word for gripa in, Sp- in English? And I'm like, eh, not really. It's kind of like crud. I know the crud is going around. I know some people have already taken off for Thanksgiving break. But I am so glad that each and every one of you is here. And those online, Welcome. We are going through a very short sermon series on lament. Perfect for Thanksgiving season, right? Lament. And here's my question. We had it up on the screen last year, last week. Sorry. Lament. What does lament mean? Well, here's the definition. It's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's to mourn. Have you ever lamented? Have you ever grieved over something or had a a passionate expression of sorrow. Well, I promised that I wouldn't bring up ball games from yesterday, but almost all of my teams lost yesterday. I lamented a little bit. Real lament. I was trying to think of a good, fun story. I've probably shared this in, in the past, but for me, one of the earliest times that I remember lamenting all had to do with an Easter egg hunt when I was in kindergarten. And if you've heard this story, I apologize. Christy's told me, Doug, you need to come up with new stories because you're beginning to repeat yourself. In kindergarten, I'll never forget, all of our kindergarten classes in our elementary school, we went Easter egg hunting at someone's house. So there's about 80 kids. You know, we're four and five-year-olds. We could hardly tie our shoes. We probably needed help to go to the bathroom and everything. And so we had Easter eggs all scattered in the backyard. And our teacher said, go find them. Well, I had an older brother, and we were very competitive. And within 10 minutes of that Easter egg hunt, I knew that me... And one of my best friends had about 90% of the eggs. After about, yeah, wow. After about 20 minutes, the teachers called us all together. We sat on this big rug outside. And I'll never forget, I was so critical and so judgmental. Looking at all the other kids who are the brainiacs in school. But they had one egg in their basket, three eggs in their basket, no eggs in their basket. My eggs were bleeding over. I was walking in an unbelievable humility at the time, right? I was so proud of myself. And then the teacher said, we're going to put all the eggs in the middle and then we're going to divide them out equally amongst ourselves. And I remember blurting out, that's not fair. I had to lament a little bit. Lament. Have you ever said, that's not fair? Have you ever said that? Have you ever said that to your parents, to your spouse, to your kids? to your boss? Have you ever said it to God? That's not fair. There are a couple questions I asked last week. Have you ever asked, why do bad things happen to good people? Have you ever felt like that you were all alone and God was silent, distant, absent? Maybe even he didn't even care. I have. Why, and have you ever asked this question, why does it seem that God allows the wicked to go unpunished and the righteous seem to suffer more? Have we ever had the courage to ask those questions? Lament, remember, lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow to mourn. Now, if you've closed your Bibles, you can open them back up to Habakkuk. 
Uh, I showed this funny little picture last week, warm air. You know, when the pastor says, open your Bibles to Habakkuk, and he immediately starts reading. You know, have pity. Have a moment or forgive them a moment for pity's sake. Sorry, I totally messed that up. Habakkuk. You know, we've got our smartphones. We can find it pretty quick. But Habakkuk, here in Habakkuk, chapter 1, 2, and 3. It's only three Sundays that we're looking at this. And last week, I tried to paint the picture of what was Habakkuk's life like. Habakkuk was a prophet. We hardly know anything about who Habakkuk was except for what we find in this short little book here. And if you read Habakkuk, you're left with like, what is going on? And last week we looked at where Habakkuk was asking the Lord, how long and why must I see injustice? How long and why and when, O Lord, are you going to respond? You see, this is what was happening in Habakkuk's life. Judah was the southern kingdom of Israel. And after Moses led the people out of Egypt and through the desert and to the promised land, after centuries, the people called out for a king to God, and God gave them a king, King Saul, then King David, then King Solomon. And during the reign of King Saul and King David and King Solomon, Israel became a wealthy, prosperous nation. Now the country is tiniest, like the size of New Hampshire or Vermont. Anyone been to New Hampshire or Vermont? They have over there. It's tiny. It's Sorry, guys. It's a great state, right? It's a small country. But during the reign of David and Solomon, it was very prosperous because, see, it was the bridge for three continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. And God had called Israel. They were his chosen covenant people to walk with him, to love him, to obey him, to follow him. And they refused. Generation after generation, the Israelites would turn their back on the Lord and they would refuse to obey. Now, from time to time, there was a generation and there were people to follow and to love him and to walk in humility. King David was a man after God's own heart. And yet he was an adulterer and a murderer. And yet God has made, had made his commitment. He made his covenant to Israel. But they were so wicked, so disobedient, that the kingdom divided in two. Israel, the north, Judah, the south. Israel never had a righteous king. And in the 8th century, the empire of Assyria destroyed all of the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom from time to time would have righteous, humble kings and a people that would follow the Lord. But in general, just like you and me, disobedient, sinful, and selfish. God would send prophet after prophet after prophet calling his people Return to me, repent, come back to me, confess your sins and I'll forgive you. At times they would, but usually they wouldn't. And it got to the point where God finally said to his people, Judah, through the prophets, I'm going to wipe you out. Not because he didn't love them, but because he brought his loving discipline upon them. And because they rejected him, they would receive the just punishment for their sin. Habakkuk lived during the last few decades of the kingdom of Judah. And their king was so wicked and so evil. Jehoiakim was his name. He oppressed the poor. The wealthy were oppressing the poor. There was idolatry, sexual immorality, injustice, evil, murder, death. 
And so in chapter one of what we saw last week when Habakkuk is saying, why and how long? He's not talking about some foreign kingdom that's come into their people. He's talking about his own people and the hate and violence and bloodshed and immorality and idolatry amongst his own people. Today, that would be like us looking at the church. Habakkuk is talking about the sins of Israel. And he's asking, Lord, how long and why? When will you come and bring your righteous judgment upon your own people and bring revival and renewal and transformation? When will you do it? And the Lord responded. He said, I'm going to do something that you won't even believe when you hear it. I'm going to raise up another nation that is more wicked than you. And they're going to wipe you out. And that just goes back to the question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why would God allow a more evil kingdom to destroy his very people? Why would he do that? There are questions that we sometimes, there are questions that we can't answer. And many times God on this side of eternity stays silent. The most tragic event in all of history was the death of Jesus Christ. And yet it is the most glorious event to ever happen in history. Remember, it's his story. And there God answers Habakkuk in chapter 1. And then right here in chapter 2, and Richard read it for us. Look at what Habakkuk says right here in verse 1. Habakkuk says this. He says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and and what I should reply about my complaint. You see, this is the first thing that Habakkuk does. And Habakkuk is an incredible example for us. When we go through lament, when we go through challenging times, when we go through depression or discouragement or through the valley of the shadow of death, when we have those hard questions, Habakkuk shows us what we're to do. We're supposed to be radically honest and courageous before our Lord to ask him those hard questions. And at the same time, we should be humble enough and willing enough to receive his answer, even if it's what we don't like. You see, Habakkuk assumed and trusted in God's goodness. And he didn't sit in the seat of judgment to criticize the Lord. He approached the Lord with incredible humility and love, trusting that God was good. And what does he say say here? He says, I will stand at my guard post. I will station myself on the tower. Remember back then, over two millennials ago, 500, 600 years before the time of Christ, cities were protected by what? Walls. If a city didn't have walls, they were unprotected and they were very susceptible to destruction from enemies. And so they'd have walls, they'd have watchtowers. And what would they have day and night, 24-7? Watchmen watching and looking out for enemy. And if they saw an enemy coming, they were called, the watchmen were supposed to call out, blow the trumpet, sound the alarm. Enemy is coming, prepare yourself. And in a figure of speech, Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to stand at my guard at my post on the watchtower and I'm going to wait and I'm going to listen to hear what God has to say. I'm also going to wait and listen to how my response is going to be. You see, Habakkuk knew that we've been given two ears and one mouth, both physically, but spiritually. 
but sometimes afraid that in our relationships with other people, we talk as if we have two mouths and one ear or no ears. And we're very quick to speak and we're very slow to listen. But we're called to be quick to listen and slow to speak. You see, Habakkuk was wanting to hear from the Lord. And he already got to the first set of news that Babylon was going to come in and was going to destroy the people of Judah. But he responds in chapter 1 by praise and by worship. And then God responds again saying, they're still coming. And so Habakkuk says, well, I'm going to stand my guard. I'm going to wait until I hear from the Lord again. I'll never forget years ago, I was in the eighth grade. And my dad and a friend of his took about a dozen young men, high schoolers, to go skiing out in Colorado. And he took me along. I was the youngest to go. I'd never skied before in my life. The very first week, and it was a week, I just nothing. I fell down more than I skied. And one of the last days we were there, I went, with, I went up the ski lift with another high schooler, and it was his first time to ski as well. We weren't that good. And we went up the wrong ski lift. There are green slopes, which are for us. There's blue, which are intermediate, and there's black. We went up a ski lift where it was all hard blues and very hard, hard blacks. And there was a snowstorm coming. And we realized we were on the wrong lift, but we were like, okay, you know what? We think we can go down this blue that's pretty hard. And we fell most of the way down. And I remember at some point going around the turn, looking up, and I still remember the guy's name. Greg is his first name. I remember watching him slide and fall, and I went around the corner and kind of kept going. Couldn't really stop. I was like, we're almost at the bottom. I'll just go to the bottom and wait for him. I went down to the bottom and waited and waited and waited. 30 minutes went by. I got cold, so I went inside where everybody else was at the lodge, ate a hamburger, drank some hot chocolate. About another hour went by. Greg hadn't showed up. I went back outside. I'm starting to get nervous. Now, I don't really know what to do. I'm 13 years old. And I remember looking up that ski slope, and it's starting to get close to when it's closing time. And I'm getting nervous. I'm like, where's Greg? Where's Greg? And I'll never forget the intensity inside of me of watching and waiting, watching and waiting. He's got a blue toboggan hat on. He's got a blue ski jacket on. He's about six foot three, big football player. Okay, okay. Is that him? No, that's not him. Oh, that's him. No, that's not him. And I was scared. I was scared that maybe he got lost, got sunk into a drift. And finally he comes down and he's all white covered in snow. And when I saw him slide and fall in, he had gone into a drift and went about six feet into the snow and he lost the ski. And he spent about three hours trying to find the ski. He finally found it and no one's paying attention. He gets himself out and he suffered hypothermia. We had to take him to the hospital and it wasn't my fault But I'll never forget the stress I sensed inside for like those two, almost three hours of hoping that that next person coming down the hill was him. And finally seeing him, it was just like, (sighs) when I read and look at Habakkuk, that's what he's doing right here, waiting for God's answer. And you know what? God's got more bad news. But there are some powerful truths in chapter 2 that we're going to look at a little bit here. As Habakkuk sits there, I wait and I watch, and I'm going to wait on what the Lord's reply is, and I'm going to wait to see how I respond. With the Lord, are we quick to respond, or are we quick to listen? May we be so watchful 
seeking his face, seeking his will. And guys, he's given us his will and his ways right here. God is a mystery. And let us not pretend that we who are finite beings could understand the eternal, omniscient, omnipotent Lord of the universe. But he has given us the Bible, the basic instructions before leaving earth. He's given us his will and his ways, and we can know him directly. And he shares with us through his word, this love letter to his people. We've got to consume it and listen to him and be willing to receive what he has for us. He wants to reveal his will to us. So that's what Habakkuk does. And then God goes on in verse two down to verse five. The Lord answered me. And this is what God said. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. You see, God wants us to know. So Habakkuk writes down this vision here in chapter two. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and it will not lie. Now, here's a contradiction, this next part. Look at what it says. Though it delays, though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Okay, how can something be delayed and not be late? Think about it. God is telling Habakkuk, what I'm getting ready to tell you, though it delays, wait for it because it won't be late. It made me ask this. Jesus, when he found out that Lazarus was sick, Did Jesus go immediately to him? No. He waited. And then he went. Lazarus had died. And Lazarus' two sisters, the family that Jesus loved dearly, they went out to him. Both Martha and Mary both said, Lord, if only you were here, my my brother would not have died. If only you were here. Where? Why? How long? If only. And Jesus responds, if only you believe. And he rose him from the dead. You see, many times God's promises in our eyes and our mind are late. Are they? God tells Habakkuk, even though it delays, wait for it. It will not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He's without integrity, but the righteous one will live by faith. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's one of the most quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. The righteous will live by faith. Well, this is the context. God is encouraging Habakkuk, even though you see death and destruction and justice all around you, live by faith. Walk by faith. Trust me because I'm good. And even if you don't understand, and even if you suffer greatly, and even if there's questions unanswered, trust in Me walk by faith. God continues. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol. Sheol is the name that the Jewish people gave to to Hades, to death, to the grave. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol and like death. He is never satisfied. He's talking about the Babylonian king. He's an arrogant man. He's full of wine and he's arrogant and he's never satisfied with what he wants. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. You see, the Lord, there's so many things in this passage here that go directly to Habakkuk and his life situation. But the Lord is telling him there is an appointed time for judgment. And to you, it might seem like it's late 
but it's not. It's in my perfect timing. And I do see what Babylon is doing. I do see their king. And yes, they are wicked and they're never satisfied. And they're going to gather the nations. But he's telling Habakkuk, but you live by faith. You trust in me. You wait on me. You walk with me. You humble yourself. Have an eternal perspective because what you see right now is like looking at the Grand Canyon through a straw. And all you can see is what you can see through a straw. That's all you can see. But open your eyes and wait and see that Habakkuk, I'm doing great things. And what I'm calling you to do is to trust in me, trust in my goodness, trust in my sovereignty. Wait, even if I don't give you your answer that you want. Believe me, I am good. I am right. I am holy. I am just. And I am merciful. And I will come at the appointed time. God then goes on to share with Habakkuk from verse 6 all the way down to verse 20. There's five woes. Woe, like W-O-E. Five laments that God pours out upon Babylon. And he tells Habakkuk, I'm going to judge Babylon for their violence, for their excessive greed, for their bloodshed, for their injustice, and for their idolatry. I see what the Babylonians are doing. And yes, I'm using them to discipline and punish my own very people, the people of Israel and Judah. But just because I'm allowing them to prosper right now, don't think, Habakkuk, that I've closed my eyes to the evil and wickedness that they're doing. Their day is coming. So be patient and wait. And you see, during this chapter here, there are four truths. Say four. Let's stand up. There are four truths. We're getting way too comfy in these seats. Looks like y'all might have had turkey this morning. I'm just teasing. There are four truths of encouragement that God gives to Habakkuk. We've kind of looked at one already, but the first one is this. The Lord's timing is perfect. Say perfect. The Lord's timing is perfect. He tells him when we looked at it, though what I'm telling you, though it delay, it is not late. God's timing is perfect in everything he does. You can have a seat, but there's a verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, 8 and 9. This is at the very end of the scripture. The apostle Peter is writing this. This is right at the end of Peter's life. And Peter is talking to the church scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And one of the big criticisms that non-Christians were pouring out upon the Christians was this. Jesus says he would return. It's been 30 years already. He's not here. And so the Christians were getting concerned. Is Jesus going to return? You see, the apostles in the early church, they expected Jesus to return in their day. They longed for it. They were eager for it. And they thought he was coming. Could you imagine Paul and Peter's response if we were to tell them back then, it's at least 2,000 years. They eagerly expected it to happen, but it wasn't happening. And by the time Peter wrote this verse, most of the apostles had already been martyred. And so there was a lot of confusion in the early church. He said he was coming. Where is he? 
And so Peter had to teach the church. And he says, look, dear friends, don't overlook this one fact, this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. That verse gets taken out of context all the time. But he's saying God is eternal and God is sovereign. Remember, there's an eternal perspective. And Paul himself says that the suffering and trials we go through in this, in this life don't even compare to the glories that we'll experience in heaven. They don't even compare. So let us count the cost. Is it worth it to live a life of sin, just enjoying sin for 70, 80 years, and yet suffer for all eternity's sake? Or is it worth it to suffer for godliness' sake, for Christ's sake, for 70, 80 years, so that our inheritance is all eternity with him? But Paul, but Peter says this in 2 Peter 3, 8, 9. Sorry, Chris, do you mind throwing it back up there? The Lord does not delay in his promises. Remember, there's that word, delay. Just because God delays, it doesn't mean he's late. Even though the Lord delays in his promise, as some understand delay, but he's patient with you. We as North Americans, we can be so impatient. And we think after two weeks, we've really persevered. The Lord is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God's heart is for everyone on this planet to repent and come to know the Lord Jesus. Put it in in numbers. There are 2.5 billion people on this planet that have never heard the name Jesus, have never heard his name. And if they've never heard his name, how are they going to be able to believe in him when they've never heard his name to believe in? And scripture is very clear. The only way to get to heaven is putting your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. These 2.5 billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus, they're not innocent victims. They are beloved by our Heavenly Father. They were created in God's image. They're of significant value like you and like me. And just like you and me, they are wretched sinners to the core who are in dire need of salvation. And Scripture is clear. If they don't believe in Jesus, they don't have eternal life. They don't have salvation. And if Jesus were to come back today, and judge them for who they are today without putting their faith in him, There is no hope. That is one of the reasons why we push missions, international missions, global workers all the time. That's why we are constantly talking about gospel conversations all the time. It's not to lay guilt on anyone. But I can guarantee you, if you saw a one-year-old out in that street right there, crawling across the street, you would do everything in your power to run out there and to scoop him out of that street before he gets run over. If you saw someone burning in a house, you would do everything in your power to try to rescue that person from that burning house, would you not? How much more so those who've never heard the name Jesus, our efforts to try to share the good news of Christ with them.
So Peter says here, God delays according to what some people think delay means because he longs for everyone to repent. What about our dear friends and neighbors and coworkers now who continue to reject Jesus right now? The Lord delays in his coming judgment because he longs for them to repent, to come to know Jesus, to experience his love and his forgiveness. This is good, good news that the Lord is patient with us. The second truth is this, the righteous live by faith. Paul quoted this verse, Peter quoted this verse, and they talk all about it in the New Testament. We're not saved because of the good things we do. We are saved because of God's incredible goodness and grace through Jesus Christ. Many of you know this. Jesus took our sin upon his body, shed his blood on the cross, was buried dead. He stinketh. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And everyone who puts their faith in Jesus are saved and forgiven and adopted as sons and daughters. And as we live this life as followers of Jesus, we walk by faith, not trusting in our good works or even our knowledge or even our experience, but we trust in Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection. He gives us that life and his promises that one day he will return so that when we go through loss, when we go through trials, when we lament, we can hope in him knowing that he is good and he is faithful. The righteous live by faith. The third truth is this, and and throughout these woes, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, I'm going to read this verse. Look at what God says to Habakkuk as he's just sharing with Habakkuk all that he's going to do to Babylon and everything that's going to be poured out. God, he puts this nugget of truth, this gem of truth of encouragement. Look at what he says. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. And all of this bad news that Habakkuk is getting from the Lord, God puts this verse in. Think about it. One day, everyone is going to know about God's incredible glory. The Lord will be known clearly to everyone. Don't forget that. The fourth truth is this. The whole, ooh, that's the third one. The fourth one is this. The Lord is sovereign and he reigns. Here in verse 20, and we're going to stand. I want to invite the worship team to go ahead and come forward, please. I'll be honest with you, this verse, I used to really strongly dislike this verse. Here in verse 20, right at the end of God's declaration to Habakkuk, God says this, but the Lord is in his holy temple, heaven. Let the whole earth shut up in his presence. What does it say? Be silent. Now, is this, is this, as we say in Spanish, is he, está regañando? Is, what's that mean, Jorge, regañar? Is he punishing, scolding? Is he scolding Habakkuk and God's people? No. It's a declaration that God is so holy that we should stand in his presence and shh. Listen. He's so awesome. He's so faithful. He's so amazing. 
He's so glorious. He's so merciful. He's so good. He is so long-suffering with you and with me. Habakkuk is an incredible example for each of us because Habakkuk was lamenting for the evil and injustice that he saw in his life. And he was asking those hard questions. Why, O oh Lord, how long? Where are you? Why don't you respond? And God gave him some really hard answers. And Habakkuk said, I will stand on the tower on my guard post and I will wait and listen to him. I want to encourage each and every one of us. Some of us might be doing great this morning. That's awesome. Some of us might be doing okay. Some of us might really be struggling. But I want to encourage each and every one of us to follow the example of Habakkuk, to press into the Lord and to ask him those hard questions, the doubts you have, and be willing to stand there and to listen to him. Seek counsel with your pastor, with your small group leader, with others. Dive into scripture and listen to what the Lord has to say. Go to his word and be willing to listen. And like we looked at last week, I'll say it again. Habakkuk is our example because he trusted and he assumed in God's goodness and grace. Knowing that God was good, even when he didn't understand. So today, as we close in this last song here, I want to encourage you, know that God is good. He loves you. He longs to have deep relationship with you and press into him and wait on him because even though it seems like he might delay his answer, he is not late and he loves you dearly. I'm going to pray, but I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving this week. I want to encourage you this week, even though we're in a time of lament, think of 10 things you're grateful for every night before you go to bed. Share them out loud. If you live by yourself, tell yourself in front of the mirror. If you can't think of 10 things, well, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There's three already, okay? If you had a late night snack, a bag of chips, that's four. But in all seriousness, speak them out loud. Call a friend. If you're married, if you have kids, if you have parents, share 10 things you're grateful for today, every day leading up to Thanksgiving. And then hopefully that turns into a habit. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this awesome, glorious day. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. Father, teach us to wait with expectancy that even if it feels like you're delaying, you're never late. Teach us how to lament. Give us the courage and boldness to ask the hard questions and the courage and humility to receive your truth, the only truth, your answers. And may we wait on the tower as watchmen on a wall to receive and to see your light, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen and amen. If you want or need prayer, I'll be down here. If you have questions about this passage or even about salvation, about God, Johnny will be over here at Next Steps. We would love to pray and talk with you. Let us worship him.